This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. Um, they're excellent at preventing other wild yeasts from contaminating fermentation. And it dawned on me like, oh man, you could totally do that. So that's how the idea kind of came to me. As I brought up this topic of using killer yeast, she said, well, maybe we can test this against our entire library of diastatic yeast. And that's what we did. This week on the show, could beer infected with diastaticus be rescued by killer yeast? Hi, my name is Nick Ketchum. I am a fermentation scientist at Rheingeist Brewing Company. What the heck is killer yeast? Uh, well, killer yeast are just like normal yeasts, only they have a viral-like particle, which is to say they've been infected with a virus that no longer destroys the cell. Uh, it's still stable inside the cell. Uh, that viral-like particle produces a small protein, um, and the protein is able to kill other yeast cells that are not in possession of that same exact viral-like particle. Wow, and how exactly does it kill the other yeast? Well, there's a variety of different killer yeast toxins. Um, the one that I specifically am presenting uh, during the WBC is the K2 phenotype. The K2 phenotype uh, works through disrupting the plasma membrane of the yeast cell. All right, and so you said it can kill any other yeast that just doesn't have the same thing. Correct. It's a bit more complicated than that. Um, there's some species specificity in there as well. Uh, Saccharomyces killer yeast generally only other they only kill other Saccharomyces. Okay, and that's obviously what we're talking about here is Saccharomyces strain since we're making beer, right? Correct. Okay. Um, do we know anybody who's already using killer yeast out there? Absolutely. Uh, the wine industry has been using killer yeast for a long time. Um, they're excellent at 
preventing other wild yeasts from contaminating fermentation. Um, but they haven't been widely utilized in beer, mostly because uh, tunnel pasteurization and flash pasteurization uh, commercially have gained widespread acceptance. And we don't really worry about that problem, <laughs> at least with large commercial breweries. But in craft breweries, uh, pasteurization is not as widely used. So, Sure. So you had an idea for an application for killer yeast in the brewery. Tell us about that. Uh, interesting story. So I was, I teach brewing science at Cincinnati state. Um, and I was typing out my lecture one day for, uh, wild yeasts. And in that lecture, I talk about killer yeast for a little bit. Uh, simultaneously, uh, I also work at Rheingeist uh, as my full-time job. And we'd had a, a diastatic contamination uh, of one of our fermenters. And so I was literally typing out um, how killer yeast are, can selectively kill other types of Saccharomyces. And it dawned on me, like I started slowing down typing the, <laughs> with the keys. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, you could totally do that. So that's how the idea kind of came to me. All right. Well, tell us how you set this experiment up. Right. So I... I swung the idea past our uh, director of operations and he kind of gave me a weird look because um, I'm always suggesting strange experiments. And um, he gave me the green light uh, about two months later to do a couple 10 hectoliter trials at our innovation brewery. And I had simultaneously also just, uh, I guess coincidentally is better word, been talking to the team at Precision Fermentation down in North Carolina. And they had provided me with a, uh, a trial uh, brew monitor, which is a inline, real-time densitometer. Uh, it also has a few other perks like pH and DO and things like that. But I went ahead and hooked that up in real time. And so I, uh, we brewed two sets of identical wort and we spiked one with just diastatic yeast. And then on the second one, we spiked it with diastatic yeast as well as killer yeast at the same time and let those run their course. All right, that's pretty great. Um, okay, so tell us uh, tell us what the results looked like in both the control and the trial. So, uh, in the control, we saw a kind of characteristic over attenuation or hyper attenuation curve during the fermentation profile, as you would expect. Yep, and then uh, we rescued that uh, kind of phenotype by adding the killer yeast to it. So, in the second trial. Um, the killer yeast kind of stabilized that wort, and we didn't actually see uh, as nearly as significant a drop in the in the gravity. Although we did see a little bit. What's a little bit? We saw a drop by about 0 0.08 degrees Play-Doh. Okay, cool. Um, now, Nick, you also collaborated with Omega Yeast to do some plating with their library of diastatic strains. What did you want to accomplish there? Right. So. I I had been in uh, conversations with Laura Burns for uh, a little while because, you know, diastaticus is a pretty big problem. Um, and we had been talking about uh, the different kinds of diastaticus that exist out there and uh, how it's very hard to identify them. And uh, as I brought up this topic of using killer yeast, she said, well, maybe we can test this against our entire library of diastatic yeast and that's what we did 
And the idea there was really to see, um, I just use one strain of diastatic yeast, the Belle Saison yeast from Lalamond. Uh, but they have, you know, probably over 15 different strains of diastaticus in their library. And we just wanted to see if this is a specific to Belle Saison or if there is actually more widespread applicability of this killer yeast toxin to a few different diastatic yeasts. It sounds like you were trying to keep diastaticus out of your brewery, which is understandable. But what about the application of using a killer yeast to, say, bottle condition beers that were intentionally fermented with diastatic yeast? It seems like that might be pretty useful to a lot of folks. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the ones we tested in this trial was CBC1, which is a bottle, you know, just a typical bottle conditioning yeast. Um, because CBC1 is a supposedly killer active phenotype. Um, but we actually didn't see CBC1 with a lot of activity against uh, Omega Yeast Library. Um, but we did see very good activity with some of the other ones that we used. And so definitely bottle conditioning um, with one of these yeast, because CBC1 is a wine yeast and a lot of these other killer yeasts are also wine yeasts, I think would absolutely be appropriate and, and probably come up with a, a very similar finished product. Coming up, we were thinking about using this more or less like antibiotics, where uh, if you do have an infection, you treat that specific infection. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, triclamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by... BSG is partnering with Leopold Brothers to bring a new line of small batch handmade malts to brewers and distillers. Leopold Brothers is a family-owned floor malting operation and distillery and 2020 James Beard Award finalist located in Denver, Colorado. Since brothers Scott and Todd Leopold first opened their doors in 1999, they have created everything from classic unfiltered lagers to a number of spirits, including a wide array of whiskey styles. Learn more about the upcoming malt line by going online to bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact BSG at 1-800-374-2739. And thanks also to Christian Hansen, suppliers of frozen liquid yeast. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation live streams data from your active fermentations, allowing you to remotely track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Try it free for 30 days. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. There's one last sponsor I should mention, and that's More Beer. Visit morebeerpro.com to browse ingredients, equipment, and more. And if you like this show, be sure to thank all of our sponsors because it wouldn't be possible without their generous support. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Pittsburgh will hold a live Facebook event November 16th. 
District Georgia meets November 17th at Bold Monk Brewing Company. District St. Louis has a virtual meeting November 19th. District St. Paul, Minneapolis meets November 19th. Our friend Gabriel Dominguez from episode 186 joins Sierra Nevada's Ken Grossman and others for a collaborative webinar put on by Master Brewers, ASBC, and the BA. The topic is Brewing CO2, a supercritical ingredient, utility, and byproduct. Gabriel's not going to like that title. You can register now for the December 3rd webinar via a link in the show notes. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Master Brewers Association of the Americas offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Keep current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers today. Use discount code BEER20 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2020. Master Brewers, United We Brew. Now back to the show. Did um did you encounter any autolyzed yeast flavors? Is that a potential concern here? Absolutely it is. Um, so one of the things I mentioned in the discussion in the poster is that although we, we did definitely rescue the hyperattenuation phenotype, one of the things we did not accomplish was uh, preventing the, the uh, POF positive phenotype, so the phenolic off flavor. Um, that definitely was still present. Uh, although I think if we had inoculated the killer yeast earlier, uh, the uh, diastatic yeast never would have grown up and been able to metabolize and produce those um, phenolic off flavors. So no, those are that's you're talking about um, phenolic off flavor, which is different though. How about autolyzed yeast flavors? I mean, I, I think uh, you, you know, obviously you're killing yeast cells here, mm-hmm. right? So is, isn't that a risk of getting? Um, sort of like meaty brothy type of notes from from those dead cells or not really? It, or is it the concentration so low that it's just not an issue? It definitely is. Uh, I would imagine, um, I have not done sensory trials on this yet, that it's entirely dependent on the concentration of diastatic yeast cells you have. Right. Uh, if it falls below a certain threshold, which in my brain, I'm just imagining somewhere in the 10 to the 5th cells per milliliter, uh, it might not be as noticeable uh, and in this tr- specific trial that I did, uh, the cell concentration was much higher, and I didn't detect that kind of meaty, kind of sulfury aroma that you get with a lot of that. And I think partially that's because um, uh, the method of uh, action through a lot of this is it pushes the yeast into apoptosis. Um, and that particular pathway, the cells d- kind of degrade themselves, um, which is different than autolysis. Uh, in that the yeast kind of just rupture, basically. That's interesting. T- talk more about that. So, uh, s- cell-mediated apoptosis, uh, this, the cell kind of breaks itself down, um, and uh, there are these little uh, kind of peroxisome kind of things, and they basically uh, break down the cell components uh, by virtue of the action of those uh, radicals. 
the free radicals that are in those um, lysosomes, um, which is different than when cells just get really, really stressed out and they just kind of explode. The degradation process when cells get really stressed out is usually the membrane starts to get perforated or uh, the cell cycle is disrupted in some, in some way and uh, the, the cell contents kind of slowly leak out of the cell. Um, and definitely with K1 and K2 toxins, that's a possibility as they disrupt membrane integrity. But one of the other killer toxins we've looked at is K28, which is, uh, disrupts the cell by um, inhibiting DNA synthesis. So it arrests the cell cycle, uh, which is... So it just uh, can't grow, basically. Correct. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. When the cell starts to be affected by the killer killer yeast, uh, is there a scenario in which it would sort of like um, first go dormant and and potentially flock out, or would it um, would it remain in suspension throughout that process? Oh man, that's a difficult question. <laughs> Flocculation in general is uh, is a complicated topic, but I would imagine. Um, you'd probably get some combination of both uh, depending on what, uh, what type of diastatic yeast you're using and whether or not it's very flocculent and um, at what stage the, during the fermentation profile that the yeast start, the killer yeast start actually destroying the diastatic yeast. Um, there's a, there's a few things going on there. Out of the, these strains that you evaluated that you've been talking about, um, do they produce unique flavors and behave, you know, uh, very differently from um, from standard brewer's yeast, or, or do they otherwise do they have these killer features yet otherwise behave like a standard ale yeast? Uh, as they are wine yeasts, most of them. Although there's nothing preventing you from um, moving this killer phenotype into brewing yeasts, uh, most wine yeasts generally don't function well in a a brewing type environment mostly because they lack the ability to break down the the larger carbohydrates like maltotriose um whereas brewing yeasts are a little bit better adapted ale yeasts and in the such um they can break those compounds down very easily i believe some yeast were affected faster than others by the toxins is that right so uh depending on what yeast strain you have, and specifically, oh, there are a number of genes that any yeast uh, can have mutations in that will allow it some measure of either resistance or sensitivity to the toxin. Um, there's like a, a probably 120, 150 different genes uh, in any given yeast. Uh, things like glycosylation of um, cell surface proteins uh, that can specifically grant resistance to the killer yeast toxins. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Any given yeast on any given day can, can actually be slower or faster to die as a result of these, these killer yeast toxins. And I'm actually in the process of developing an assay, uh, a qPCR assay for looking at some of these specific gene pathways and whether or not they have mutations in them so that I can determine whether or not the yeast, the diastatic yeast specifically is uh, going to be vulnerable or sensitive to this uh, specific killer toxin. Diastatic yeasts are uh, subject to something called carbon catabolite repression. So the diastatic pathway specifically um, is inhibited by the presence of glucose. 
uh, and in that way, maltose and maltotriosis, they're broken down into glucose. Um, so if those things are present, actually, uh, di- the diastatic genes won't be turned on. They're actually repressed in that specific instance. So one of the early things I was thinking about doing uh, before I came up uh, with this idea was actually um, developing a molecule that would specifically mimic glucose so that we could uh, inhibit diastatic um, gene production and subsequent action of the diastatic glucoamylase genes. Um, but that has since been a pathway I've uh, set aside, I guess you could say. So what's next? Are you planning to do more with killer yeast at Rheingeist? Absolutely, we are. Um, so one of the things we did right after we kind of discovered that this was working was we filed a preliminary patent just because uh, you ne- never know really what's going to happen. Um, and so, yeah, the, the kind of two, th- two different avenues of research we're taking is one, um, trying to get the killer yeast phenotype over into brewing yeasts. Um, and then the other avenue is trying to purify the killer yeast protein and actually use that on its own separate from the yeast so that we can, um, not worry about off flavors from the killer yeast and things like that. Um, the idea behind that is really so that we don't have, uh, an antibiotic resistance type situation, right? Because anytime you put selective pressure on a population, it starts to gain resistance to that, uh, whatever it is that you're uh, using to put selective pressure on them. So we were thinking about using this more or less like antibiotics where uh, if you do have an infection, you treat that specific infection. And rather than just putting carte blanche, uh, this gene into every single brewing strain. That was Nick Ketchum here on the Master Brewers podcast. If you want to learn more, check out the poster Nick presented during the 2020 World Brewing Congress. Check the show notes for a link. I joined District Mid-Atlantic back when it was dominated by large breweries, and I was often one of the only craft brewers in attendance. I'm so glad I joined. That membership has been incredibly impactful to my career, and I've made so many lifelong friends from those meetings. If you're not already a member, I highly encourage you to join. And there's no time like the present because new members can use the promo code BEER20 or the link in the show notes to save 20% on dues if you register before the end of the year. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.